Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com.au slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com.au slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com.au. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com.au. In this episode, we spoke with Kim Kaur. Kim is Go Market's COO and Executive Director. He started out as a sales manager for the Asia business just when this new demographic was opening up for most of the CFD and Forex industry. Fast forward five years, he stands as CEO and an integral part of the Go Markets team with a unique perspective on Asia. A lifelong student of economics, Kim has always had penchant for understanding how markets work and of course his notorious obsession with Sambal. This is a great episode where we cover of course Sambal and growing up in Malaysia, his time and role at Go Markets, the Asia market itself, trading and gambling in Asia compared to Australia, the Asian investor perspective, US versus China trade, wars and relations, and what sitcom best resembles the Go Markets office. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your podcast app and consider sharing with one of your friends. But with that all being said, let's get into the episode with Kim Kaur. Kim, thank you for joining me on this, uh, well, it's a nice sunny Friday now. Yes, it is indeed. Um, First question for you, how spicy do you like your sambal? (laughs) <laughs> sambal, hot and spicy, of hot course. And spicy, yeah. Do you know it was you that introduced me to sambal? Really? Yeah. I'd never ever had sambal before. And I remember when I, back in the day when I worked at Go Markets, I used to always buy sushi. Yeah, I used to buy this sushi in the morning just for like a snack. And then one day I saw you having your sambal. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to try this on my sushi. And so I was having sushi and sambal. Well, you have a good taste because back then when I brought a sambal to office, a lot of um, colleagues actually complained about the terrible smell of blachan. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Jesus. <laughs> I need to get some culture about them. <laughs> what was the other thing you used to bring in? There was like a little, they're like these little fried prawns. Uh, fried prawns. Is it like a tempura? Not like these tiny little... Oh, that is a dry stream. Dry stream, yeah. Yes, it's very popular in Malaysia. Yeah. So they use it with um, all different kind of cooking, in okay. particular sambal. Yeah. Yeah, obviously in sambal, it's, uh, it's amazing. So quite, you, you do have quite a unique taste as well, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, whereabouts in Malaysia did you grow up? Uh, Kuala Lumpur, but okay. I was born in Penang. So it's oh, right. an island that um, 
well, Malaysia used to be colonized by the British. Yeah. So they used to have a air force there, and Australia used to have a navy based on Penang That's in a right. place called Butterworth. See, my my boss uh, is from Penang. It's interesting. He was saying that a lot of people in Penang don't really speak. Chinese or Malay, they just they all speak English. Uh, yes, like that's the common language. That's correct. Yeah, what's the common language in Malaysia? Do most people speak Malay or Chinese? Well, official national language is Malay, but because Malaysia is consists of um, three major races, yeah. so if you're Chinese, apparently you'll be speaking um, Mandarin, um, some dialect like Hokkien, which is popular in yeah. Penang. and um, the Indian will speak mostly Tamil because they are from South India. Huh. And of course, the Malay will speak Malay. That's very interesting. Um, I've always been fascinated with Malaysia. I've still yet to go, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I want to get to Penang. You should be your boss year. in Penang next time. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. He, he gets back like maybe once a year to see his parents. I think. Um, now, obviously, many people internally would know you as the friendly neighbourhood Malaysian, or as I said, always bring in your amazing delights to the office. You were at the firm at the same time that I started, um, and you've stuck around. I think you've worked your way all the way up to an executive director and COO. Um, you've got an interesting background looking at your LinkedIn. You studied in Tasmania, right? You did that your, is correct. Back in year 2000, I started there. Okay, so you did economics, honors as well, worked as a wealth manager, project director, strategic consultant. Um, what was the sort of catalyst that drew you into... Forex? Well, I would say back then the motivation is about money when you're young. Yeah. Uh, you try to venture into something that you see a vision. That's why you can see from my background, I actually graduated from Tasmania, University of Tasmania. And my first job is actually a wealth planner or financial planner. Okay. Uh, did really well back then. So, in fact, I forgo a job opportunity from RBA. Really? Yes. Why, was, what were you going to be doing there? Um, how it works back then in my university is if you happen to graduate with first class honours, you will be automatically uh, given a job allocations with RBA. Really? Yeah, well wow. paid as well. But for a certain reason, I didn't take up that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that it would be a routine job running statistics and things like that. So it could be a bit boring for me. So <laughs> Who knows? Just, you could have been on uh, the board of governors. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. Um, so... Worked for uh, Genesis Wealth back then, which is under Challenger, I believe, um, Carry Packers Group. And then two and a half years, um, we did really, really, really well. So everyone got a payout and my boss just retired. Really? And then I ventured into something totally different to my background, which is uh, modular housing. Okay. I saw that. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? How did that come about? Well, that is back in 2005, six, where Australia... Uh, at the beginning of a mining boom. So uh, okay. the concept of the fly-in, fly-out uh, has created some sort of opportunity in terms of the mining workers that live in a quite bad, terrible conditions on the mining area. That's yeah. why they're spending a lot of money um, hiring private jet in and out. So the solution is to build a energy-efficient seven-star, like a hotel, like portable, modular concept. Wow. And pitch it to all those big mining companies. And how did it go? <laughs> well, it actually um, went pretty well. Um, on the verge of um, finishing all the prototype and nearly finish all the due diligence with one of the biggest iron ore mining companies in Australia, some 
personal things fell through because of the business partner. So, yeah. Didn't work out. Yeah, it didn't work out, not because the product is not good. It's yeah. just that sometimes in business, um, some things happen. Yeah, a lot of the time, it's just timing. It is Fate, timing. You know, a lot, you can just have a whole bunch of things happen at once and it just makes it impossible to continue going. That's correct. Um, why, when you, you came to study here, did you intend to stay in Australia? I mean, did you, was your original thinking, oh, I'm just going to go back home and get some sick job because I've got this degree in Australia? Or Oh, no. Actually, my, my first intention of um, studying the university, the first choice is actually Canada, Ontario. Okay. That's where I studied college, uh, yeah. Ontario College. And uh, when I tried to apply for my university, I applied about six or seven around the UK, Canada, and Australia. And University of Tasmania happened to be the first university that recruiting me. So... There That's why, go. yeah, there you go. And what do you miss the most about home when you think about it? I know you get back every every now and then. <laughs> of regularly. course, it's food. food. Food and family, I suppose. Yeah. Yes, because family's in Malaysia. It's always the classic thing, isn't it? Food yes. and family. That's correct. But life's pretty good here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you were growing up and thinking about your family, are there particular lessons that you learnt or you hold with you today that either of your parents sort of imparted upon you and maybe they they did that directly or oh, yes. d- indirectly from yes, seeing I think, it i think my grandpa and my father have a big influence okay they always teach me when you want to do things successfully you have to be focused extremely focused because mm. the power of focus will lead to great success reason being if you're able to focus on one thing and do it right the rest will just follow suit yeah i like that focus Yes. Hard work as well. Yes, focus, yeah. <laughs> now, the, like I was saying before, you've worked your way to the, to the near top. I'm curious, and I think most of the audience would be curious about the role of essentially head of operations. So I think initially you started here as a sales manager and worked your way up to VP of Asia. We'll get into Asia in a moment. Um, and now executive director and COO. How did this whole opportunity arise? Like, how do you view it in hindsight, your time starting here? Um, like I say, back to what I just mentioned, the word focus is where it leads to where I am today. So I started as a sales manager in Go Markets, specifically targeting Australia clientele. And throughout the process, I suppose some luck and some fate um, Go Markets decided to break into the Chinese market. Mm. So because of my background, I do speak other languages. So that gave me a certain opportunity to um, perform. Mm. Yeah, and, and I remember when um, every now and then, I don't know why, initially you were obviously pitching clients when you first started um, all in English. And then all of a sudden we get a few random clients who'd say Chinese, Chinese on the phone. And, you know, we just started palming them off to yourself and, it just grew and grew and grew. And I guess that's sort of where the pivot to Asia came for the business, I think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, it's very fascinating. I'm just thinking about the role itself, being CEO. What does that actually mean for a company like Go Markets? Um, yes, the role compared as a sales back then has changed um, significantly because back then my focus is all about conversions of sales. Okay. So be it they're from Asia, South Asia, Australia, the focus is to provide the best user experience for my client, try to answer as professional as possible, all right? And 
the focus now is altogether different because now on a management perspective, the daily routine will be more about problem solving and yeah. managing people. Okay. And I mean, the remit for operations, I'm just thinking about the structure of the business. You've got the CEO, compliance team, trading, mm. operations. Do you oversee all of those people beneath you and speak to the CEO or how does that work? How is everything split up in the business? Uh, we currently uh, divided, well, we're not really a big company, right? Um, I classified ourselves at the moment a small medium enterprise. Mm. But have, it's pretty big for the industry, I think, I feel. Uh, like maybe you have... It, a, it depends oh. how we compare. <laughs> if like I compare myself to IG or CMC, those listed company, we are minute. Yeah. yeah or but, like a Pepperstone is obviously going to be bigger, but yeah, you, know, you guys are just that level just below them, I think. Yeah, that's true. That yeah. is true. So in terms of organized, uh, organization structure, it will be more sim- simple, meaning that we have upper management and basically the staff. So we don't have so-called a middle management. Mm. So from communication perspective decision-making perspective we are more flexible which is also a strength yeah yeah being agile is always that is correct always a good strength um what do you think is the most crucial aspect of your role like what is the one thing that is most important problem solving (laughs) (laughs) yes that is that's absolutely what i've done the last two years yeah just problem solving because every problem you resolve yeah. Effectively means the, it's a success conversions. Interesting. I like that. Now, getting into Asia. So, I said before, you were VP of Asia. D- is there someone who's in charge of that market now and you split those up uh, or how does that work? So, how it started the China market is back then uh, we have a slightly different shareholder structure. So, they introduced the Chinese market by hiring a, a Western face, which is a good strategy because... Asia tends to have more confidence if your company been labeling with whiteface. Oh, really? Yes, yes. So interesting. So we have uh, a guy which is quite good called Adam Bevan. Um, he used to run the China business, so I just work along him and help him because I cannot commit myself to be relocated into China. Yeah. Because I have my family so based in Melbourne. So, and things go not bad. And for personal reasons, um, the head of China decided not to proceed further. So I've been offered a road to um, take over the whole Chinese business. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that means that, like, is there anyone who's in charge of Asia Pacific or anything like that now? Uh, Yes. So China, we have. China, we have a functional team. When I say functional, meaning from operational perspective, they can work independently. We have about 28 uh, staff in China. Really? Yes, we have um, six staff in Taiwan. Wow. So, um, majority of the Chinese business is um, handled by the Chinese team. So, what my role is overseeing. If there are issues and problems that they require further assistance, that's where I step up to help them. That's fascinating. I had no idea that there was a whole, you know, Chinese... Are they all re- like remote workers or...? Uh, you call we call it a third party service provider because ah. in China the regulation yeah. doesn't allow you um, to do any sales activity directly. That's interesting. I guess that's why so many people go and open offices in like uh, Hong Kong and, and Singapore yes, and all that. That's correct. Um, when I left Go Markets back in 2013, obviously I was saying 
things were sort of starting to pivot towards Asia. You were saying before, it was Chris Bevan, was it? Uh, Adam Bevan. Adam Bevan, that's more, it. More in China. That, so he was China. sort of starting to, to grow that business. How do you think it's changed the company? Uh, for example, what's like the percentage of clients now for Go Markets in China, Asia, and the rest of the world in comparison? I say now it's around 50-50. So really? 50% is Asia, not just China. Not just China? Yeah, okay. but Saudi Asia as well. Interesting. Um, we all know about the, you know, one millionaires in Asia. I think it is roughly about a, a one million millionaires. There's about one million in China alone. So there's a lot of wealth that's being created that's in Asia. I'm curious... You know, based on your perspective, you've had your time with both types of clients. How is the how is the mindset different from Asian and Chinese investors or traders to locals here in Australia? Um, I think first of all, the Chinese, I believe, in their blood, are more speculative than the Westerner, and that can be proven by just visiting any casino in the world. Yeah, you can see the ratio <laughs> wide Asia everywhere because yeah. they just like to punt. So having well, is said that, that like a cultural thing or just like a historical thing? Because I always thought it was because, you know, China and some of these countries have been poor for so long or communist in some way that um, it just means they've got all this wealth now and they're, they're wanting to live the best life that they possibly can and that's what they, you know, love to do. It's, you know, obviously gambling is a major thing for Confucian culture. I think there's like an element where it's, you know, you'd like to lose the money. Is that true? Um, you wouldn't say you like to lose the money. I don't think anyone like to lose the money. I think the philosophy behind why China have such a behavior uh, tend to speculate more than the Westerner. Uh, first, like I said, is from the historical culture. Because why Chinese like to speculate? Uh, one of the reasons you just mentioned, they might be um, on the poor side, on the dep- depression side for a long, long time. Yeah. So when a little bit of wealth start to be generating, they tend to leverage that. And they're happy to take that risk. Mm. That's why I say it's in their gene, in their blood. It's who they are. It's who they are. That's interesting. So when they're more speculative, what do you mean by that? Are they willing to put in higher hands in different commodities or CFDs? Or or are they just more aggressive? They are more aggressive because their vision is if I can use $100, um, take a pun that potential overnight I can make $1,000. (laughs) <laughs> they will make a full bet, unlike Australian trader, because you can see from the historical trends of, we call it a life cycle of a trader, meaning that average trader in the leverage forex or margin derivative um, perspective, the life cycle of Asian trader tend to be much, much more shorter. Interesting. Really? Yes. So they just, they, they get in and out and they're done with it? Yes. They wow. either double it or they lose it all. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is the nature at the moment. That's reason behind that because, all right, let's say we talk about China alone, right? China only been prosperous since the, um, I call it the liberalization, yes, yeah. 80s, all right? So the wealth effect in China is not driven by financials. It's actually driven by property the last 10 years. Mm. If you're talking the wealth at the moment being generated the last 10 years, it's property is about 10 times bigger than the uh, stock market. Mm. And yeah, prices it, in Shanghai and Beijing are just out of control. 
it is out of control. But having said that, you also need to look at how China is printing money the last 10 years. Yeah. If you look at the stats, they actually print 10 times more than America. Really? Yes. I know they do do that to peg their currency, but um, I didn't know it was about 10 times. 10 times more, the M2 supply. Interesting. Yes. Where do you see, you know, we're in a really interesting stage at the moment of the life cycle of Asian investors. China's here to stay, clearly. Yes. As, you know, the superpower with America, at least locally. Yes. Um, you know, we've gone through this whole stage, I think, in the last two years where everyone's been paranoid about Chinese investors buying real estate and other assets. I think it's been shown now that Indian investors are starting to actually overtake uh, Chinese investors just yep. because it's we're going through that cycle. Yep. Um, where do you see the, I guess, the Asian investor mindset going over the next few years? What are they saying to you? Are they still interested in Forex and real estate and stuff like that? Or is it something else entirely? Um, from the Asian investor perspective, like I said, um, leverage product like um, what we offer in Go Markets will never die. Mm -hmm. As long as there is Chinese, <laughs> they will keep doing it. Interesting. Okay? The differences here is the amount of money they're willing to invest will be correlated to their wealth effect. I'll give you one example. You just now you're talking about the average price of, let's say, apartments in Shanghai, Beijing, and Shenzhen. All right, they're selling an average of approximately 100,000 RMB per square meter, which is about 20 to 30,000 Aussie dollar. Right. So wow. if, if you say that right, no, I'll open an account with Go Markets, if I only spend 0.1 or 0.01% to test it out, all right, that's not a lot of their wealth and yeah. they can afford to lose it. True? Yeah. But in China, the differences it makes to the world is because of the population. Yeah. You have 1.6 billion. Roughly. roughly. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Shanghai alone, the population is nearly 30 million. Yeah. Yeah. So you look at the number itself, it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. So that's where you see the last four or five years. Forex brokers like us, nearly everyone now have huge exposure in the Chinese market, which yeah. is also a huge risk. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting because a lot of people talk about the trade war at the moment. That's yes, a big that's, thing. Yeah, that, that is indeed a big thing. Yeah. I, I suppose that is a, a flex, flexing of muscles between the two big big brothers. Yeah. What position have you built so far on that? Have you just been observing what's going on? Because a lot of the talk at the moment is that the US stock market is overvalued and flushed after 10 years of quantitative easing and China's sort of in a in a weird spot because they've had to export a lot of labor and construction to keep their economy booming, particularly with the One Belt One Road yes. or Belt and Road Initiative. Where do you sit on on that at the moment? The China US dynamic. Um, if Trump able to be re-elected in the midterm election in November, yeah. All right. My personal opinion: Trump is a businessman or businessman slash politicians yeah so if you look at his style of how he conduct um his business back then and relate that to politics i think they're highly correlated mm. so at the end of the game i don't think that he will try to create a situations that make china in a huge losing positions mm. he's a good uh, manipulator yeah. the way i look at it 
he know how to play his game really well. So let's say this particular trade war is creating a lot of uncertainty and volatility, which financial markets loves it. <laughs> All right. If you're talking conspiracy, who is there to say now? Actually, if you ask me to classify who is the best trader in the world, I say it's Trump. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with you. So you think maybe that he's going to create this uncertainty and I completely agree with you he's he's a very good persuasion artist yes, that um, is correct that's his thing he's a negotiator and so he uses this and then all of a sudden he comes out of the blue with uh, Xi Xi Jinping yes and uh, says let's strike a deal or something like that and that will calm marks, marks down that's sort of where you think it's potentially going to go yeah I, I, I always look things in a very simple way in America the longest president ever served I think if Donald Trump going to win the midterm, another four or five years, he's done. All right. Mm. But yeah, Jinping, if he doesn't win the midterms, he's, yeah. uh, he's in trouble. What I'm saying is he got left with four or five years to fight his war, to make American great again, which American, I think, are really great. Mm. But China, on a different perspective, Xi Jinping just changed the, the Congress. that The party structure, can, yeah. Yeah, he can actually permanently, which effectively can call him an emperor. Yeah. So... He's not short of money. He's not short of time. Yeah. Think about it. So you might say, you know what? She might say, you know what? Yeah, you've done a good job, Trump. No problem. Bye. Hi, bye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, I never really considered that because I know the Chinese, see, from, from my own podcast, we interviewed uh, like a geopolitics strategist. He works at Australian National University, often, mm. um, you know, used and respected by government about the CCP and it's very interesting because he was just saying like no one really grasps the reality of what you know he's done he's mm. effectively made himself a dictator he's completely got all the different areas of the party under control and mm. he can stay there until he's bored or he wants to retire or he dies yes. so you've basically and the Chinese have a very long-term mindset simply because their culture has existed for so long that's correct so you see, he was saying that you've seen a lot of articles now from the the government political machine that they talk about the fact that we've got ages. You've got to slowly, slowly chip away at things and gradually, gradually build up. Yes. The salami strategy. <laughs> that's correct. Because in China, it's uh, quite a unique um, political situation. In particular, if you look at um, the last 5,000 years of the Chinese history, since um, the early 20s when China Communist Party was formed, but comparison to the history dynasty, this particular Communist Party is exists for less than 100 years. Yes, it's really short. When uh, President Xi Jinping changed this rule structure to allow him to be in a position indefinitely as long as he want, of course, draw a lot of criticism saying that uh, the China is going backwards because... China should be moving forward to become liberalized, become democratic. So I would look at a very simple way as well. So I once I remember I have an argument, not argument, but constructive argument <laughs> with a professor from Melbourne University. So I just asked him a question. I said, if, assuming that you have a family, all right, you have one kid, of course, you can have more agile flexibility talking to your kids if you've done wrong and this and that. So if you have a family that with 15 and 20 kids, you need certain rules, mm. policy, house rules, correct? Yeah. 
So that is a huge difference. Why? Mm. So yes, democratic, good. And I won't say communist is bad. I tend to be neutral in a way that you have to look at the circumstances. I completely agree. Yeah. So I nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. That's correct. Like uh, that's interesting you say that because um I've been to Japan twice in the last eighteen months and everyone loves the J- Japanese culture, but it's also it can also be debilitating. Yes. For people who live there. Yeah. And people come back and say, oh, the trains are so good, everything's so clean, blah blah blah. And I just think that, you know, the differences between monocultures like Japan and multicultures like ours, yes. they all have their pros and cons. Absolutely. And it just depends on where you want to stand to look at things. Exactly. Um, we've got not much longer left. Um, some short, fast questions for you to, to wrap this up and yeah, give, give the audience some perspective. Yeah. Um, as I say to every guest so far, since... Uh, Coming to, into the office, I've just uh, I've been impressed by the perspective, and I don't think the audience really gets to see and understand <laughs> what what it's like here. I'm curious if you were to choose a sitcom, <laughs> and if that sitcom best reflected the office here, what would it be? Honestly, I haven't watched sitcom for long, long times <laughs> <laughs> since Friends, I believe. So the recent one I watched is The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think they um, is that related to Go Markets. No, it's not related. <laughs> A lot of people have said the um, the, what do you the British Office. But what do you think? Um, I don't know. I, d- I don't think it's like the British <laughs> Office. I still can't put my finger on it. That's why I want to hear from everyone else. Uh, um, what is your morning routine? Uh, morning routine, uh, usual coffee, and then check through my mailbox. Okay. And then um, problem solving along the day, then back home. Okay. And Very ev- boring. The evening, what does your evening look like? Oh, evening, just uh, go home, relax. Yeah. Watch some movies. See the kids. See the kids. Nice. Um, if you had to name best purchase with the most positive impact under $200 yes. in the last few years, what would it be? Books. Books? Yeah. One in, is there a, like a particular book no, that comes just, to mind? Just books. Yeah. One, the latest one, a um, few months that I bought is um, How Not To Be Wrong by um, Jordan Ellenberg. It's a powerful, it's called The Powerful of Mathematical Thinking. Interesting. Why have I heard that? I feel like I've heard that book. It's not a new book. It's an old book. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about decision making based on mathematics thinking. Interesting. So books, do you read regularly? I used to. I used to force myself to read at least seven books a year. Okay. That's pretty good. I like Uh, that. Since I become COO, (laughs) the only time I have time to read is actually on a plane. I do fly quite frequent, so try to complete my target of seven, but this year I think I'm lagging behind. Yeah. You should should get, um, what is it called, audio books with Amazon, Audible. Oh yes, that's a good one. You Rather can listen than reading, to those. I can listen to it. You could listen idea. to those on. Uh, do you catch the train or drive to yes, and from work? Good idea. Good that. idea. Um, favorite documentaries or movies? Documentaries, movies. Um, the Big Shot. The Big Shot. Yes, that is a brilliant film. That's a brilliant film. Yeah. Um, if you could have a billboard anywhere in Australia, where would it be, and what would it say? Um, Hamilton Island. Okay. And I would put life is simple, be happy. I like that. It's been a pleasure having you on. We've hit our time. Uh, are you on social media or LinkedIn? Where can I, people find you? I'm on LinkedIn. 
Okay. Um, but not on Facebook. I did register that back in 2002, but haven't been actively using it. But LinkedIn, yes, I'm on that. All right, we'll make sure we link you to your LinkedIn. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you, mate. Thanks, Jordan. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.